you. If you would, keep this sheet. And uh, I'd encourage you to just refer to it throughout the week and, and hopefully until he comes home. We are in a, a series on the parables of Jesus. We're in Luke 15 today. I'm actually going to read all of Luke 15, which is three parables in one chapter, and most of them should be familiar to you. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. 
But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Would you pray with me? Merciful God, we thank you that you have deigned to show us the nature of the kingdom. We thank you even more for the nature of the king of that kingdom. We pray, God, that our hearts would be soft and pliable in your hands and that your word would pierce us, would cut our hearts open. We pray, God, that we would, would see you clearly as you intend to be seen, that our hearts would respond to you. We trust that you'll do this by the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of Jesus. Amen. These are some of the most famous parables that Jesus tells, and they're unique to this Gospel of Luke. The framing of of what's happening here in these stories is very important. The religious people of the day, the Pharisees, are looking at Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners, tax collectors being these people who have betrayed their own people to work with the occupying empire to steal from their neighbors. And sinner is just this broad category of morally repulsive degenerates whom Jesus is content, happy, seeking to hang out with and eat with, eating seemingly this uh, extremely strong statement of acceptance and approval. And the Pharisees look on what Jesus is doing and grumble and say, how can this man, a teacher, associate himself with these kinds of people? And then Jesus tells this series of three stories. And the purpose of telling these three stories is to tell the Pharisees something about the nature of the king of the kingdom. He's saying something about himself, primarily. Last week, we talked about the nature of the citizens of the kingdom and how it's the poor that God gathers into his kingdom, both the economic poor and this larger category of the spiritually destitute. These parables are not about the citizens of the kingdom. These parables are mostly about the king of the kingdom. And all three of these stories convey something about the nature of God as the one who acts with supreme generosity and who seeks out the people who are seemingly far, far away from Him. He presents Himself as a good shepherd who cares for His flock. And sort of behind all of this imagery of this one story is a long legacy in Israel's prophetic literature of God repeatedly saying through multiple prophets that Israel has been failed because her shepherds have lied to the sheep 
And they have not been good shepherds. And the sheep are scattered and lost. And Jesus here presents himself as the good shepherd who watches not just some of the flock, but cares for every member of the flock. And and the the shepherd seemingly makes an, an economically foolish decision to leave behind 99 of his sheep to seek out one dumb sheep who has wandered off. And then he presents himself as as a woman who is taking care of her riches. It's important that this is a woman in her own house and and not a man. The the sense is possibly that this is a woman who's, who's the sole caretaker or manager of this house, possibly a widow. That's the kind of imagery. Why is the woman in charge of the purse strings? This isn't necessarily normal. And these coins are incredibly valuable. And what does the woman do? She upends her house that she works so hard to clean and order. And she does everything necessary to find the one coin that's rolled off because the coin is so valuable to her. And then the the most famous of these three stories is the story of what we call the prodigal son, which is most definitely misnamed. And he tells the story of, of... a father with two sons, a younger and an older. And it's important that you see that it's the younger and the older and what the son, the younger son says to the father. This younger son says, I want my inheritance now. And for a son to say that to his father, especially in this time and place, is to basically say, I don't care if you died. I want the benefits of your death now. It's incredibly cold-hearted and disrespectful. In the ancient Near East, this request is not met with a conversation, but a slap to the face. No father in good standing would accept this kind of behavior from a younger son. But the father in this story gives the younger son what he asked for. And the younger son takes what is not his because his father is still alive. And he leaves and he goes and wastes it far away from home. Lives a partying kind of life and burns through his inheritance. It says that he ends up feeding pigs and wishing that he could eat what the pigs ate. For an Israelite, this is the rock bottom that you can fall to. Pigs are unclean animals. They're not supposed to be anywhere near them, but to crave to eat what the pigs are eating speaks of a profound and unreconcilable uncleanliness. And the younger son, it says, comes to a census. He sort of realizes where he is And he realizes that he's ruined everything that was his. And he says, I I just, I want to go back to where my father is. But I know, I know that I have, I've ended my sonship with him. I've told him that I wish he was dead. But if I could just be the janitor of my father's estate... I would be far better off than I am now. 
But remember, these stories are told not to talk about the citizens of the kingdom. These stories are about the king of the kingdom. So the crux of this story is when he comes home, his father sees him. The father has clearly been looking for him ever since he left. He does what no good head of a household does in the ancient Near East. He hikes up his robes and he runs. This is the behavior of a child, not the behavior of a respectable head of an estate. And he runs down the road to his son. And his son starts to give him his speech. I don't I know I can't be a son anymore. But before he can finish the speech that he's rehearsed, his father interrupts him and calls his servants and and says, clothe him with all the trappings of sonship. Does not want to hear the bargain that his son intends to strike with him. And in profound generosity, clothes him as a son puts a ring back on his finger, and simply parties that he's home. And there is another son. And the older son has a real case for being really upset. In the ancient Near East, the oldest son gets twice what anybody else gets. Whether you like the system or not, I as an older son happen to appreciate the system. That is the way it goes. The older son gets twice what anybody else gets. So if there is a pie, one third of the pie has been taken out by his younger son and blown away. When his father brings his son, younger son back in and clothes him with all the trappings of sonship, that younger son is cut back in. And the elder son's inheritance seemingly is diminished. And the elder son can never remember a party to celebrate him. So he looks at what's happening. And he says, this cannot be right. The math of this is not correct. This fool spent our estate. There is a simmering, angry mind behind this. This fool has spent my inheritance now. And you are bringing him back. And the father reveals his character. And he said, son, You've always been with me. Everything that I have has always been yours. Why should I not celebrate that another of my sons was dead and now is alive to me again? These stories are about the nature of the king of the kingdom. And there is, in the life of Jesus And in these stories specifically, an irrefutable joy that God has over His people. 
you and I, we think that our life is, our spiritual life may be all about a pursuit of God. In some sense, it is. We've been designed to seek after Him. But what Jesus clearly reveals in His story, and in these stories specifically, is that God is the one who is the real seeker. I told you this story is misnamed. Prodigal has gotten kind of lost in meaning because we associate it with this story, even in popular culture, and we think it means uh, the missing son or the rebellious son. That's not what prodigal means. Prodigal means extravagantly spending, wasteful. The most extravagantly spending person in this story is not the younger son. It is the father. He is the wastefully generous one who will not allow his younger son to come to the bottom of the well of his generosity. And he, and in fact, expounds on this as he turns to his older son and says, you have always been with me. I've never held anything back from you. Notice, too, the way that the, the main character in every story responds to the lost being found. It is never a voice of reproach. It is never a voice of discipline even. The response is always unadulterated joy at the loss being found. I have found my sheep. I have found my coin. I have found my son. I expect different from God. In fact, I act different. We, by nature, keep score and keep count. The scales must be balanced. The efforts of the shepherd surely must result in the sheep being disciplined. The wastefulness of this son surely means there must be some probationary status. An angry speech, a wagging finger in his face. And that is not how God reveals himself one single time. The whole story of the God of the Bible as of him standing outside the door of his people, calling them and calling them and calling them. It never matters how explicit and how dirty they get in their disobedience. God, over and over again in the prophets, says, I should punish you, I will punish you. And again and again and again, he just gives mercy. We are not meant to come 
to Luke 15 after we've read through the Bible and say, wow, I am surprised that God is like this. This is not a conversion moment for God. God has not been angry and angry and angry and Jesus somehow changes His heart to be something different. This is the way that God is. This is the way the King of the Kingdom is. His generosity outstrips my generosity 100 out of 100 times. And every time I feel that I've wandered in too far a country and somehow crawl my way back and ask and beg God, please let me trade with you so I can feel better about my standing, like I can deserve to be with you. He refuses the bargain and clothes me as a son. We just can't believe it. The son rejected the father. Really and truly, he really, really did that. By rights, by all calculus, he is right. He doesn't deserve to be a son, he doesn't even deserve to be a slave. And this story is not about the nature of the populace of the kingdom. This story is about the king of the kingdom. And this is just the way God is. And you can be here this morning and you can be in two different places that puts you in the wrong relationship to this parable. You can, be, have, you can have been wandering off so far and feeding the dirtiest, most disgusting things that you can imagine. You can have wished death on this king. And you could believe that God would never take you back like this. And this story is to tell you again and again and again that God's generosity is more wasteful than your rebellion. And He can always outspend your recklessness. The thing that the elder son misunderstands is that there is no end to his inheritance. He thinks that his inheritance is a finite resource. But God is the infinite giver. And there is no end to his generosity towards you. The other place that you can be wrongly in relationship to this series of stories is that you have forgotten them. That Luke 15 is a chapter in the last 20% of your Bible. And you just 
don't care anymore. That this, the way God is, is something you may write on a piece of paper. But it means nothing to your heart anymore. That is where I am a lot of times. God is relegated to spiritual and emotional shrubbery in my life. When you let this word get into you, you cannot help but see the uncontrollable, life-giving generosity and joy of the King of the Kingdom. And you cannot let that recklessly, wastefully generous God be a silent piece of shrubbery in your spiritual life. When you and I do that, when we act like elder sons who fail to realize that we live in the Father's house day after day after day and our Father just becomes as nothing to us, becomes a part of what is normal, this story wakes us to the truth that we have lived with the most generous Father. Whether you have been so far off, you have lived in some far off, foul country, and you have come to the end of yourself, or whether you have lived at home with Him, You have come to church every week and you have forgotten He's even there. There is no gradation, no levels of love that He has for you. He has for you unrestrained joy over your coming to yourself and coming home to Him whether your heart has been cold in church or cold far away, the Father is who He is. He is the one who delights in finding His coin. He is the one who finds His lost sheep, though He has 99 others. He is the one who watches the road for His sons to come home. He is the one who lives in generosity with those who are close to Him. This is the way the king is. Where are you? What do you do with this king? Do you grumble at his generosity? Or do you let him call you son or daughter? What God has for you is to be a son or daughter of the king. That is who you are because he gets to say so. No matter how far you've run or how much you've forgotten him. This morning you have before you the picture of God's generosity. 
the infinite giving of the King is before you in the cross of Jesus. I'd like us to pray just to be quiet for a moment before we do. You can look at this cross or you can close your eyes and look at it in your mind. I don't really care. But I challenge you in this moment to look on the cross and to see your inheritance and ask where you've been with the Father. So would you close your eyes? Jesus, we thank You for telling us these stories. More than telling us, for showing us. God, we are people that seem born for the trade. They would rather earn our way back into good standing than to dare believe that You might Receive us so joyfully and generously. God, we see ourselves. We can't believe that you would be so generous. God, I I pray that our hearts would be made able to believe. And that those of us who believe that in our heads would also once again believe in our hearts. I pray, God, that you would mark us by this generosity, that you would mark us for this generosity. God, for all those who are far off this morning, who feel like the coin that is rolled under some distant piece of furniture, who feels like the sheep that is separated from safety and provision, I pray that they would take great comfort in knowing that you've come after them, even though you know you know how dirty and lost they are. God, I pray for all of those who have come to church, lived a religious life, lived a Christian life, and forgotten that your generosity is for them too. Help us, God, to be the people who see the party that you throw for your people and who run in joyfully celebrating, taking part in all that you give to us. We thank you, God, for seemingly wasting your love on us. God, we need it more and more. We trust that you have more than enough. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.